0: You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to this episode, episode 8 of Mission Possible, How Everyday Ordinary Christians Become World Changers. Now, in the last couple episodes, we've uh, lo- been looking at 12 uh practical ways to recapture the New Testament life of what it means to be the New Testament church. And uh, just to recap, uh we started with number 1, which was to is to start uh with uh, those who have holy discontent. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a very high level of possibility that you are one of those people with holy discontent. And these are the people that God raises up first. Doesn't make you smarter or better looking or a better Christian or get to heaven first or anything like that. It's just that God raises up some people that are just eager to reach this world for Jesus Christ, one person at a time. So that's number one. To recap, Uh, from our previous episodes, number two was to uh, recapture the biblical way to do church, uh, to understand church, to look at church the way the Bible describes it. Number three in our list of 12 is to turn your church inside out. That is, come to go. We're not just a, an admiration society of people that love the Lord and come together and worship in the comfort of our church. We are people that are there to be equipped to change the world. And that is related to number four on our list, change your focus from church as an organization to the power of relationships. A church is a community of believers that have relationships with one another and want to develop relationships with unchurched people because relationships are the power by which the gospel flows. So it means that this horrendous, almost total focus on programs moves to the idea of personal interaction as the real way to reach other people in your community for Jesus. Number five in our list is focus on equipping young adults. The crowd that hung around with Jesus was pretty young. By and large, the apostles were young people in their 20s. And, um, and and these are people with energy. This is the next generation. This is where you build for the future. So focus on young adults. Number six was moved from the idea of an evangelism committee or activity or program to the concept that every Christian is called by God according to the scripture. To share their faith. And that sharing of your faith is not an activity that you do, it is a lifestyle embedded in your worldview. And so that's uh, very, very important. And uh, so that is uh, number six. And number seven is the power of witnessing, not the concept of evangelism, which scares most people death, but the idea of witnessing. You are a witness to what God has done in your life, and if you've been a Christian for a while, you have dozens, maybe hundreds of stories that you could share, and when someone you know who's not a Christian, someone uh, in your social network who shows some kind of a challenge in their life and shares it with you, then if you have anything even remotely close to that kind of an experience, it's your opportunity to share your story and how God worked in your life. That's the best way to share. Not throwing Bible passages at people, not an outline on how to bring someone to Jesus, not all that pressure, but just sharing from your heart, unrehearsed, natural, and just being yourself, your, your, uh, experience with Jesus, how God has worked in your life, telling your God stories. And number eight, we talked about how church governance actually hinders the way that churches operate. Uh, sooner or later, your church will need to renew a new form, <laughs> a renewed form of biblical form of church governance a form that is more like the bible and not like uh, modern companies in the workplace Uh, we have uh, drifted a long way from uh, looking to people who know the bible and praying for god's direction in our leadership groups uh, to uh, basically having constitutions and bylaws and votes and a bunch of other things That are absolutely foreign to the life of the new testament and so those were the first eight as kind of a way to recapture and remember and as we move here into this episode episode 8 we are going to look at number 9 10 and 11 and number 12 of these 12 different elements to recapture uh, the practical ways to Recapture that New Testament church. So, number nine is the recruitment of workers in ministry will change from organizational volunteerism to personal and relational discipling. There is nothing anywhere close to the concept of a volunteer in the New Testament, it's just not there. And I know volunteerism has become quote unquote sacred in many churches, it is actually not a good idea. God doesn't use people. Instead, he has a totally different plan than volunteerism. And it begins with your spiritual gifts. And uh, our spiritual gifts are those gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, You don't choose your gifts. The church doesn't choose your gifts. They don't recruit you to some job Uh, uh, simply because they want to superimpose the the job on you and get the work done. God doesn't use people that way. He blesses people with spiritual gifts. And we all have a different spiritual gift mix. I wrote a book uh, about that called Your Spiritual Gifts Discover God's Plan for Your Life. And uh, it has a survey in it that you can take and you can discover your spiritual gifts. And uh, you can learn about them, and there's a Bible study in that book. And once you do the survey and look at your dominant and subordinate gifts, you now you can you can learn what those gifts mean and what they where how they operate, and and uh, you'll discover that your gift mix might be absolutely unique in your whole church, no matter how big your church is. It's very rare for uh, two people to have the same exact dominant and subordinate gifts in, uh, in the same church. It's very rare because there are so many, and the mix makes it even more uh, exponentially impossible for people to have the identical gifts. Your gifts then determine where you should start doing ministry. Once you start doing ministry according to your spiritual gifts— Oh, things change. You are motivated and energized by the Holy Spirit, not by some volunteer job description to help your organizational church do something or get something done. It's it's the biblical approach. You can't. Nobody can deny it. It's in the Bible. So there are there are various ways that people then become discipled according to their gifts, in a ministry that God has already preordained for them. You just need to find your ministry, uh, not work as some sort of a volunteer. And um, there are six steps that are God's way of equipping someone. It's called discipling. That should sound familiar to everyone, except most people don't even know the steps of discipling. I have outlined this in another book I wrote called Who Broke My Church? And uh, that book has the six steps in there. But I will tell you about them briefly right now. Number one is come follow me. If that sounds familiar, that's because you know and remember that Jesus approached the disciples and simply said, would you come follow me? And we don't have a record of people that said no. We have a couple of people that uh, uh, talked to Jesus about being one of his disciples, like a young lawyer, and he was too uh, committed to his money and his work, and he just wasn't ready. Uh, But uh, Jesus did find 12, and there were others in a larger circle that were his disciples. And each of the uh, disciples who became apostles and planted church across uh, Asia, uh, also had uh, people that they discipled. You can read about Paul's disciple Timothy, for example. It's in the Bible. So, this all begins with, come, follow me. Jesus is saying that to you, and in your heart, you know he's calling you to be a disciple and to serve him. But it's not through a volunteer program, it's not through pressure, it's an invitation from the King of the Universe. Come follow me. Then, the second step, if you want to disciple someone or be discipled by someone, is the disciple does and the disciple watches. So, that would just be taking somebody along with you when you do a ministry using the gifts that are similar to the gifts of your disciple. Actually, Every person on a church staff should basically never, ever do anything in their job description without someone along who they're discipling to multiply themselves. A pastor should never go visit someone in the hospital all alone. The pastor should never do that alone. The pastor should take someone along to disciple. Uh, That's just the way it is. When people are on some sort of a leadership team that leads the church, uh, a council or a board or whatever you're going to call it, they should be discipling the person to take their spot. I don't know where we got into this political thing about elections and nominations. That's, That's just foreign to Scripture. So, I do, you watch. The next step, step three, remember it was number one, come follow me. Number two, I do, you watch. Number three, I do, you help. Number four, you do, I'm going to help. So, we switch roles. I do, you help. Now, you do, I help. And that might take a few weeks. It might take a few months. It might take a few years. That doesn't matter. What matters is the approach you do, I help is number four. Number five, you do, I, the discipler, watch. So I'm going to just be quiet, and you're going to do the ministry. And we'll debrief later. And those are uh, the five steps of the six. And the sixth one is where Christianity explodes. And number six is we both Repeat the process with someone else. The discipler disciples someone else. The new disciple disciples someone else. So you look for, pray for, until you find someone and help them discover their spiritual gifts. And if they have the gift mix that fits the ministry you do, you invite them along and just say, hey, come follow me. I'm going to go do this ministry. Hang out with me, will you? I'm a Sunday school teacher. Would you come and hang out with in my class? You don't have to do anything. Just come and hang out. And if you like it, then um, I'm going to encourage you, as I do, you watch. And uh, so on and so forth. I do, you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. And it multiplies from there. I'll tell you what. Just about Sunday school teachers... If your church were to do that, you would never, ever be hard pressed to find yet another Sunday school teacher to serve. In fact, you might have more classes to provide places for the people who have gifts in teaching and other gifts that work for Sunday school. <laughs> you might have to have more classes just to give people an opportunity to serve. Now, my question is do you think that would grow your church? <laughs> do you think that would grow the kingdom? Yeah, that's number nine. Yeah, that's what works, not volunteerism. And so that's uh, God's plan. Uh, And for pastors and staff people in churches, it says very clearly in Ephesians 4 that the leaders of the church, those who are leaders in the church, are to equip God's people for the work of ministry, not just do the ministry themselves. That brings us to number 10 on our list, and that is more about professional church workers. They will move from this self-image, this idea of they're there and paid, they're on staff to do ministry, and move that concept, that worldview, to no, I'm not here to do ministry. I'm here to do ministry to equip others to do that ministry, who will then equip others who will equip others. That changes the church from a program to a movement. There's a huge difference. It's from addition to multiplication, and this is the movement that Jesus started. And so number 10 is about professional church workers moving from self-image of doing ministry to one of being equippers for ministry, and that is revolutionary, because Jesus is revolutionary. So, there are three big issues. Church members can do more ministry in their spare time, no matter what their jobs demand, and what their lifestyle demands, and many, how many kids they have, no matter how many responsibilities they have, church members could do more ministry in their spare time than a staff can do working 60 hours a week. Jesus knew that. Most churches don't know that. Most staff people, most clergy, most pastors don't seem to know that because they don't do it. Well, that's what Jesus modeled. Number two, it gives all of God's people the privilege of experiencing ministry. And experiencing ministry is contagious. It is so wonderful to minister to another person in your gifts and see God work. It just explodes your love for God, and it explodes the Christian church. And that's the priesthood of all believers, that concept that is in the New Testament. Many times and that key verse in Ephesians 4, that God's workers, the pastors, the evangelists, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, they are to equip God's people for the work of ministry. It's so clear. You wonder how we could drift so far. And number three under this number 10, not only the church members can do more ministry, number one, and God's people can experience the privilege of ministry, number two. But number three, the church programs become a movement. And movement fuels revival. Movement, the Christian movement, changes nations. You know, uh, my son studied in England at a church that... Is part of a revival movement over there, a renewal movement. And uh, there are just uh, maybe, I don't know, 200, 300 churches in this movement. It's growing all the time. But he spent a, a couple of years there, actually several years. And um, after several years of being embedded in this amazing uh, Christian movement, uh, the spiritual movement, uh, I asked him, I, I said, uh, uh, how should pastors spend the largest percentage of their time? I know what I thought coming out of seminary. I thought, you know, I'm the ministry person, and I'm supposed to make hospital calls and marry and bury and and preach and teach and do all this stuff, because that's the only model I had. That's what my seminary taught me. So I asked my son this question, how should pastors— spend the majority of their time, week in, week out, as they carve out their days and make up their schedules? How should they spend most of their time? Without any hesitation, my son said, well, that's obvious, training leaders, multiplying themselves. And I about fell over because he had learned from real life in real revival churches the real deal. And think about how far that worldview is from most people in most churches. Honestly, I didn't come out of seminary or graduate school thinking that way. And yet, when I look at the Bible, it's clear, it's obvious. It's what Jesus did, it's what Paul did, it's what Luke did, it's what they all did. Well, that's number 10. Just a couple of more. Number 11. This is very interesting. We need to move the church into the marketplace. What do I mean by that? Well, for one thing, your church office should move away from your church building, especially if your church building is not located in a marketplace setting. Some older churches are in settings that are kind of an attraction model. you got to go to that church. You wouldn't run across that church. You wouldn't really step foot on that foreign-looking property if you were an unchurched person, even if you were desperate for a need for spiritual help. But it will move away from the church building. Number 11, to be located in a strip mall or a shopping center. The point is that we ought to have an outpost, and the church office would be perfect, where people are, where people gather, where people walk by. And if your church office isn't there, move it. Uh to a place like that. It will not only increase contacts and opportunities to reach people for Jesus who are not Christians, but it will also impact the way you think about church. It will be a demonstration of turning that whole issue around from you all come to go, go to the marketplace, go where people are, think about it. What did Jesus do? He went out among the people. In fact, not only the church office, but more ministry should be taking place not at a church building. Uh, People are not going to stumble into a church building and find your weekly Bible study You'd be better off having it at a restaurant. Yeah, it's a little more noisy. Yeah, you might get interrupted by someone coming by and saying, Oh, hi, Fred, how are you? Uh, What are you guys doing here? And it'll interrupt your Bible study, and you'll say, Well, we have a Bible study. And you'll have a great opportunity to say, By the way, would you like to join us? So, think about it. Vacation Bible School. How about having it in a park? How about using the public school, renting it? Get out in the public. Move your church from y'all come to go into the world. It's what Jesus did. And what that means is that these monstrous church buildings really ought to become less important. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have a place to worship, but it does mean It is not where everything should take place, because the Great Commission is to go into your world, not tell the world, y'all come. And even worship services should be decentralized. During the pandemic, COVID-19, churches had to. They couldn't meet. It was a bad idea, and in some places, it was legally impossible. And so, we should think about what really happened. Many churches had to go online so people could attend church from home and watch on TV or on the internet. And so, worship became decentralized. Do you know what happened? The worship attendance, according to our research, actually went up during the pandemic, And that's considering that you only really know how many units have tuned in. You don't know how many people were in the room. And so worship went up. And so as church doctors, we recommended to every church when the pandemic is over, you guys keep streaming live your worship service. I am totally convinced that Jesus would direct churches to do that in this electronic age. Absolutely no question about it. And use that medium as a way to invite people to respond in some way. And I don't mean come to church and attend our building. I mean move beyond that and get contact information, and do what the Bible says. Go to them to follow up. So there's lots of places. And most uh, new churches, particularly in urban centers, start in storefronts. And uh, eventually, when they get enough money and enough people, um, they'll build some kind of a building, and then they kind of turn outside in. And it's now, instead of being there on the sidewalk And reaching out, it's now becomes, all right, y'all come. We're now an established institution. Well, the church is not supposed to be an institution. It's supposed to be a movement. And guess what? Movements move. And so this concept is move as much of the church out of the building as you can as often as you can. Anytime you can. We really ought to have more churches that meet in bars. Uh, Bars are closed usually on Sunday mornings. And people who know where that bar is would maybe be interested to find out what in the world is the church doing in our bar? And I think Jesus would say those people need to know him just like everybody else. Well, that brings us to number 12. And number 12 on the list is one of the most prominent outreach mechanisms will be what we call send centers. And you'll hear more about this, and I've talked about it many times. And uh, I've written a book about that called Sharing Your God Stories, and it talks about send centers in there. It's all about the idea of don't invite potential Christians, some people call them seekers, people that are somewhat interested and uh, may be ready to learn more about Jesus, don't invite potential Christians to church, to the institution. Not at first. Invite them to community, not to a facility, not to an institution-looking thing, but invite them to relationships. And that's what SEND Centers are all about. They are made up of people in your church, some of your friends, like you, who catch the vision for mission. They have caught what we call kingdom culture. Again, I talk about that in my book, Who Broke My Church? So, the whole idea is this is a landing place, a home usually a home, it can be a little bit larger, but usually a home, somewhere out in the community. And it's the destination of where you invite someone who shows interest in God. Instead of immediately inviting them to a worship service, which they wouldn't understand most of it, you invite them as you build a relationship with them whether it be a neighbor or someone at work or someone who just is not far from God, you know, is far from God, but not uh, 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 belligerent about learning about God, someone who is receptive, someone who has a need, someone who has challenges. And you bring these people uh, to a home, which we would call a send center. You don't have to call it that. Just say, We're going to have dinner with some friends at a home. Would you like to come along with our family? And you meet there, and in that sin Center, they hear not only the testimonies, the witness, the God stories that maybe you have told them, but they hear that you know people from your church who also have God stories, and that multiplies the power of what God will do in their life. And then, as this SEND Center, which is designed specifically for mission outreach purposes and can be up to maybe 20 people, whatever the house would hold, and if it gets too big, you can divide and and have others make two out of the one and then four out of the two and so on and so forth. And uh, what they do in this gathering is they usually have a meal, if not a meal, snacks after dinner time. And what they do is is basically for reaching people in your social network who are not yet believers. So they're invited to a home, not a worship service, which they wouldn't understand anyway. And you have to remember that the Christian movement runs on relationships, not programs, not even a worship service, not the organization called church, but people who are faithful church. That's the key. And so the people in the Sun centers cultivate relationships with unchurched people, people at work, school, relatives, friends, neighbors, and they bring them first, not to church, but to this home for a meal or for snacks or whatever. And they have some fun together. Everybody likes fun. It's kind of like a party, except it's spiritual. And then we encourage these send centers to use the Alpha DVDs. Alpha is an introduction to Christianity, and it is done extremely well. And so this is what you do. You just tell people, hey, I'm going to meet with some friends. We're going to have some snacks or we're going to have dinner or whatever. And after that, we're going to watch a video. And you let the video introduce them, little step by little step, episode by episode, to Christianity. And so the Send Center atmosphere is where Christians share what God has done in their lives. And that's the real idea of witnessing. Basically, sharing your God stories is basically saying, look, I was there, it happened to me, This is how God works in my life, and it's like a witness in a court. You have a testimony. So, there'll be unchurched secular people there. They might be there for a short time before they're ready for worship, or they might be there for months or even years. Doesn't matter. God is working in their hearts and in their lives. This is powerful outreach. It's called a middle step strategy before jamming people into a worship service they're not ready for. Why would they worship a God they don't yet believe in? So these sin centers are very, very powerful, and they really work. And so we encourage you to think about how we can help people across that bridge to where they will ultimately come to your church at your invitation, sit with you, and be introduced to worship. Well, in our next episode, episode nine, we'll look at what Jesus was teaching when he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. It sounds strange. It's powerful. Until next time, remember, mission is possible. It's how everyday ordinary Christians like you become world changers. And trust me, God will make it happen. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.